Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. We're talking about staying in faith as once again we face a situation that's really out of the control of man we know that we could look to God to do what man cannot do and so it's important that instead of being overwhelmed and overcome by fear that we rise up to a place that not only enter faith but we also stay in faith so that we can experience what God can do in overcoming whether it's sickness or disease or a virus or anything of that nature my opening text is going to be Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 5. And here's what it says. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. What I like to do is just break this down for a little bit for us so that we can get a better understanding of what he's talking about. Notice the very first thing he said was, Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. This is an introduction that emphasizes the certainty of what's about to be said. You recall in the very beginning that when God spoke and said, let there be light, something happened. When God speaks, something happens. He said, let there be light, and there was light. And then he spoke some other things out, and those things came to pass, just as he spoke those things out. What that teaches us is that God's word is powerful. And when God says something, something happens. So what he's about to say is being emphasized. And what did he say next? Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. Now we look to the Jews and what they did. They trusted in the Egyptians. They trusted in the Assyrians. They trusted in Abraham, Moses, and, and even others. They're also trusting in themselves to try to keep the law and to do what God would have them to do. But it didn't do them any benefit if they didn't look to the Lord first. Now, when it comes to us, we can also look to things like the military. We can look to technology, philosophy, human wisdom, strength, or even, say, physical fitness, as uh, many think that just by staying physically fit, that means we're going to be healthy for the rest of our lives. But not all that is true. Even though we can do what we can in the natural, it doesn't mean that we can ignore the supernatural and leave God out of the equation. So it's important that we, yes, maintain all that we can possibly do in the natural, the physical, even think mentally. We can get involved in trying to think right. But without God's divine intervention on our behalf, we're not going to succeed in doing what he has called us to do and what he wants us to do and overcome the obstacles that we face in this life. He went on to say, and makes flesh his arm. Now, when he's talking about making flesh his arm, he is saying this. You're confident in what man can do. You're confident in his ability. You're confident that he could provide help for you or help you overcome or protect you. But compared to God, man falls short. Compared to God, man is weak. Man is feeble. Man is frail because man is mortal. Man is finite. God is infinite. And so God can do a whole lot more than man can do. And so when facing a situation like we are in our nation right now with this, what many have called a crisis, um, it's important to understand that just employing natural means and medical means is not enough. We need to look to God at a time like this and learn how to tap into the power of God so that we can rise up victoriously and overcome. The next statement that was made is whose heart 
departs from the Lord. Look in the book of Romans chapter 1 and verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Whenever it is that man puts his trust in man or what man can do, a little portion of his heart departs from the Lord and his confidence and faith is found in man and not in God. God wants us to trust him, to lean upon him, not upon ourselves and not upon others. It is God who makes us to cross the troubled waters of human life successfully and not just man. And I want to explain that to you by going to the book of Exodus so I can really reveal to all of us what the curse really is. Sometimes we hear the word curse and we have a wrong picture of what it really means. But notice these verses. They're standing before the Red Sea. They have the mountains on either side of them. They have the Egyptians pursuing them from behind. And here we have the people of God, the Israelites, before the Red Sea. And now they're at a crossroad in their life. How are they going to get across? Where are they going to go? Are they going to die because the Egyptians are pursuing them? They need something more than what man can do. And let's read it. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me, now notice, speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. So we he, see here, the curse is this. The curse is man's finite limitations. Man does not have the ability to do what is necessary for them to do to get across the Red Sea. There's no time for man to build a bridge. There's no time for a man to uh, build a boat. There's no time for him to, let's say, come up with an airplane or a rescue helicopter or of anything of that nature. It's impossible for man to get across and have his need met. And sometimes when we face difficult situations like we are right now, we obviously look to man to see what man can do. And I thank God for what man can do. And we're not in any way belittling that. But we're at a place right now where we have to understand the need for all of us believers to look to God to do what man cannot do. And so what Moses was told to do was to stretch forth the rod, do something that he could do. And that rod represents the word of God. You see, there was no way for man to dry up the land underneath the water of the Red Sea. Because if he didn't, if, if he couldn't, then he would get stuck in the mud, so to speak, and not be able to continue across the Red Sea. But God did something for them that man could not do for himself. As he stretched forth the rod and cooperated with God, we know the waters were congealed, which means that they stood and frozen like ice on either side of them. And then something else happened. The Red Sea bed was completely made dry. And these two and a half to three million people got successfully across the Red Sea. And the Egyptians tried to follow them. An important point is made here. We can't mimic someone else's faith. We can't do what God told someone else to do. So here the Egyptians, they're trusting in basically themselves, their ability to get through to the other side. But as we know, the Israelites were successfully uh, on the other side. And in the middle of it all, all the Egyptian army died. Why? Because they did something that they were not told to do. 
They couldn't have faith in God to do it because God never gave them the right to do it. You see, the blessing of God involves our being obedient to do what God tells us to do in any life-given situation. But these people had no right to follow them and to do what God told them to do because the promise was not made to them. What that reveals to us is this. We can trust in and rely upon our own abilities if we want to, but we will always fall short at some point in our lives. Whether it's facing a virus like we're facing right now, we thank God for what man can do, but man has finite limitations, and that is what the curse is. The man who trusts in man exclusively will live under the curse of man's finite limitations. Man can do certain things, and we thank God for that, but when we get to a place like they were at this crossroads in their lives at the Red Sea, and we need divine intervention, we need to know how to tap into the power of God so we can walk in the blessings of God. Now look in Jeremiah chapter 17, beginning at verse 7, and we see here what the blessing involves. Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord. Now notice, trust in the Lord. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaves shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. So what he's revealing to us is this, the person who trusts in God is going to experience blessings untold. And the person that trusts in God is not going to fear whenever a situation or a challenge arises and that person needs divine intervention. It's just not going to cause fear in that person's life. Why? Because his roots run deep in God. You know, as Christians, we're told to be rooted and grounded in God, in the work of Jesus Christ, his finished work. And as we're rooted in him, and how do we get there? By living a lifestyle of intimacy with God, by spending time in fellowship with God, by studying the word of God, by listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And as we do our part, we develop this intimacy with God and a strong faith that anchors our souls at a time like this, that we don't give up the fight. We do what God tells us to do so we can succeed and successfully get to the other side. Well, God wants us to trust him. And if we trust him, he'll bless us. And part of the blessing is found in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Look at these verses. Beginning at verse 12. Wherefore shall come to pass, if you hearken to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he swore unto thy fathers. And he will love thee, and notice, bless thee. These are the blessings, praise God, that manifest in the lives of those that trust the Lord exclusively with their lives. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, thy corn, thy wine, and thine oil, the increase of thy kine and the flocks of thy sheep, in the land which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee. Thou shalt be blessed above all people. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle. And the Lord will take away from thee all sickness. Now notice this. And will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt which thou knowest upon thee. But will lay them upon all them that hate thee. Here we have a revelation that comes to us from God declaring that it's his desire to keep us free from sickness and disease, even though we're surrounded by it every day of our lives. The person who walks with God, who is blessed by God, 
can expect God to honor his word and perform it in their lives. And one of the blessings is protection from sickness and protection from disease. As a matter of fact, he went as far as to say as to remove it from us. We believe that God has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. And many people quote that all the time. But here he's also saying, look, if you'll cooperate with me and walk in obedience to do my will, I will manifest myself in you in your life in such a way so as to protect you from sickness and disease. So even though we realize it's important for us to, in the natural, do everything we possibly can, keep our distance from other people, don't cause the spread of the disease, and also medically, all that we possibly can, to use whatever it is that we can use to come up with vaccines, to come up with all kinds of drugs to fight it. And we appreciate that and thank God for that. But still, we understand that that may not be enough. We need to learn how to trust God and do His will and how to tap into His resources from on high so He could do for us what we can't possibly do for ourselves. And so I want to share with you some points. I believe these are keys that will help us understand how we can cooperate with God and apply biblical principles to help us stand against sickness and disease. Now we understand that it's not the will of God for us to be destroyed in this world by sickness and disease. When Jesus walked here upon the earth, he proved that. He came on the scene and when he did, he healed more people in one week than 4,000 years of human history. He walked upon this earth with compassion and they brought all the sick people to him and each and every one he healed. They took the sick ones up on a mountaintop where he was resting. They brought the blind, the deaf, the dumb, and the maimed. And as he was sitting up there on that mountain, they cast all the people down and others, it says, at his feet. And they marveled when they saw the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, and the maimed to be made whole. They marveled at that. Why did he do this? He was moved with compassion to heal them. So no matter who we are, if we've been attacked by a sickness or a disease, we can expect God to have the same compassion today as he had then and help us navigate through it, help us overcome it. And so I want to share with you certain points that will help us from a spiritual perspective to help stand against the virus. And here they are. Number one, Proverbs 18, 21 will be our text, but I want you to notice, refuse to accept the diagnosis as the final authority. Refuse to accept the diagnosis as the final authority. In the book of Proverbs, in 18 verse 21, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Now it's important to understand that the words that we speak are powerful. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We need to cooperate with God by speaking forth what the word says about our situation. Now, we're not talking about denying the sickness or denying the diagnosis. We're talking about something that's higher than the diagnosis. We thank God that we have a higher report. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, notice verse 1, what it says. Who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Notice that expression, the arm of the Lord. Remember in Jeremiah, it says that he makes flesh his arm. In other words, what it means is this. If our confidence is exclusively in flesh or the arm of the flesh or the arm of man, what man can do intellectually, what man can do medically and all that, then we're going to be under the curse of limitation. We're limited to what, God, what man can do. But we need to recognize and realize there's a higher report. The arm of the Lord is talking about 
all that God can do and provide for us. And if you read the rest of that chapter, it's called the redemptive chapter. You find out in that chapter, it talks about not only Jesus was made sin for us, but he was made sickness and disease and mental anguish for us so that we could look to him and take his report, who's believed our report, the higher report of the Lord and say, thank God I have a higher report that I can look to and this natural report does not have the final say. If we're going to give anyone or anything the final say, it should be what God said about the situation. Why? God's not a man to lie, nor the son of man to repent. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he will make it good. Once it re it's released from his lips, from his mouth, he says, I will not alter what's gone out of my mouth. I will not change it in any way. You can count on it. You can bank on it. You can anchor your soul on it. If he says with his stripes, you were healed or we were healed, we can bank on that. We could believe that. We can embrace that and act like it's true. So in other words, if we've been diagnosed with coronavirus, then thank God we can say this. It may be a proper diagnosis. I can accept the diagnosis. I don't accept it as the final authority. There's a higher report and that report is found in the word of God, the redemptive work of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, praise God, to bear our sickness and carry our pains upon Calvary's cross. So let's put that in our heart. Let's put that in our mouth and say this is, in my opinion, the final authority. I believe the report of the Lord. I believe the report of God's word. Number two, Take responsibility for our healing by doing our part. Look in the book of Mark, Mark's gospel, chapter 5 and verse 28. This is the story of the woman with the issue of blood who could not get better no matter what she did or how hard she tried or how many doctors she went to. She was worse and not better. Well, she finally heard of Jesus and she said, if I could touch his garment, I shall be whole. Notice this verse, for she said, if I may but touch his clothes, she put the responsibility on herself to get to where he was and touch his clothes. If I touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And what that reveals to us is the fact that she took responsibility by doing her part. She could have stayed in her little cottage where she lived. She got abided by the Jewish law that says you're unclean. You cannot mingle with other people. You talk about keeping your distance and staying away from other people. She had to shout if she got with any kind of distance from people saying, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. And people would scatter and run away because they didn't want to get what she had. So she was considered an unclean person. But she set all that aside. She set aside the religious responsibilities that she had. She set aside anything and everything else, the doubt, the unbelief. All that she got from the doctors and all the heartache and pain as she lost all her life savings just because she was trying to get better. She heard of Jesus and she put the responsibility on herself saying, I, if I touch his garment. So she honed in on that. And she must have heard someone say that anyone that touches his clothes gets healed of whatever condition that they have. So she set out. She got up. She did her part. She began to go down to where Jesus was. And when she got there, there was a crowd there. And what she should have done was cried out unclean, but she did not do that. Because she believed that if she touched his garment, I'll be whole. Now notice, she said it. Our first point was we've got to not accept the diagnosis as the final authority. Start saying something that God said about the report. And she did that. And even though man can't help me, she said, praise God, if I touch his garment, I will be whole. 
And she got through the crowd. She got on her knees and she went. And she finally touched the hem of the garment of Jesus. And when she did, Jesus knew that virtue had gone out of him. And he said, as he looked around about and said, who touched me? His disciples said, there's a multitude of people touching you. And you say, who touched me? He said, oh, no, no. Somebody made a demand upon my ability. Somebody with faith touched me. I felt the power go out of me. And of course, the woman was there fearing and knowing what had happened. She told him all the truth. She probably started from the very beginning. And she said, look, I've been through a lot. I've struggled a lot in my life. I spent all my savings, all my retirement money, everything I own, all that I have, I spent on doctors and healthcare workers to try to get better. And I thank God for what they could do, but they couldn't help me because they were limited. And so now here I am. I got worse. But you know what? Somebody came by my little cottage one day. Someone told me about you. I heard that whoever touches you gets healed, no matter what the condition might be. And so, Lord, here's what I said to myself. I'm going to do it. I'm going to set aside everything else. I'm going to do it. I'm going to focus my attention on getting to you. Set aside all that I've been taught even before. I'm getting to you. And I kept saying it. And when the thoughts of doubt and unbelief came into my head, I just said, no, no. If I touch his garment, I will be whole. I will be healed. I'll be set free. I'll be delivered. And I kept saying it every inch of the way. When I got here, there was a crowd here. And I didn't know what I was going to do. But finally, I got on my knees. And I just began to crawl between their legs. And I got to you. When I got to you, I touched you. Some electric, electrical power went through my body. I felt it. And all of a sudden, I felt that I was completely healed and whole. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. You see... Jesus gave her something that man couldn't do. He did for her what man was, it was impossible for man to do. But you see, she cooperated with him. She took responsibility. It's important that we learn to do our part. If you don't take your medicine, it's not going to help you. We understand that. If you believe in nutrition and diet and, and exercise, if you don't do it, it's not going to help you. And when it comes to spiritual matters and spiritual things, if we don't do our part, it can't help us. There's a few verses in the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, verse 20 through 22, that says to us that his words are life to us and health to all of our flesh. He gives us instructions in those verses as to what to do. My son, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. In other words, listen to what I'm saying. Don't let them depart from before your eyes. Think about what I'm saying. Keep them enshrined in the midst of your heart. Believe what I'm saying. And those words will become life to you and health to all of your flesh. When we go to a physician or a doctor or healthcare worker, we listen to the words that they speak when they tell us the right thing to do. We're listening just by, they say, social distancing, keeping away from other people so as not to pass on the germs to somebody else. We're listening to what's being said. I realize there are some that are out there that are not listening. They're just doing their own thing because they're not concerned whatsoever. But the sad part about that is they're not concerned about other people and where they're at. And they're not concerned about if they were to infect somebody else. It's no different with God. We have to listen to what he tells us to do. Listen to what I'm saying. Hear it. Listen to it. Think about what I'm saying. Believe what I'm saying. What are you saying, Lord? My words offer life to you and health to all your flesh. I sent my word to heal you and deliver you from your destructions. The first time I read those verses of scripture, I was attacked basically with a virus as well. I was working in the Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company in a mill crane. 
And as I was going to work that night, I couldn't even swallow. It was the night shift. It was so horrible. I couldn't even swallow. I opened up my Bible. I read those verses. And I said, if your words are medicine to my flesh, health to my flesh, I'm going to read your word. And as I sat there in my mill crane, and remember this, as I was operating that crane, as long as the mill's running, I just sit there all night long, do whatever I want to do. Don't have to budge. Just sit up there 30 feet in the air in my crane cab. Every chapter of the book of John that I read, I began to feel better and better and better until finally when I got through the whole book of John during that time, my eight-hour shift, I was completely healed of the virus in my body. And so I applied the principles of God's word to my life. And I received exactly what God's word teaches us, health to my flesh. So it's important that we do our part. What if I just sat there and just said, I can't swallow, I feel terrible, and so on and so forth. Would I have recovered so quickly? Impossible. It probably would have just run its course. I could have been sick in bed for days, but it left my body as I applied the principles of God's word. So we must take responsibility to do our part. Some people think that if, if it's God that's involved, then there's nothing for us to do. That's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's why we want to teach you these principles. Look at number three. Daily declare or confess the word of God. In the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, this is a powerful section of scripture leading up to this particular verse. But let's read this verse first. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. The word profession is the same Greek word confession. And many times it's translated confession as well. Profession, confession, that's the same thing. Hold fast to saying what the word says. Because God is faithful to what? His promise. So what he's promised us, he will perform in our lives. But it's up to us to do what? Our part. Hold fast your confession of faith. What's my confession of faith? We go to the word of God. There's a verse, for example, in Jeremiah 30, 17, it says, I will restore health to thee and heal thee of every wound. If we've gone to God in prayer and we believe that we've received from him, then praise God, we can receive uh, that healing power. But we have to hold fast to our confession. Let's read it. For I will restore health unto thee, and I will heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord. Because they call thee an outcast, saying, This is Zion, whom no man seeth after. Notice the first part, though. I'll restore health unto thee. So what we could say is something like this. Yes, I know I've been attacked. It's with the virus. But I also know this. I'm doing my part. I've asked God to heal me. I believe I receive his healing power into my body. He's restoring health to me right now and healing me of every wound. So he's restoring my health. You know, it's easy to say I'm sick and I'm getting sicker. Or we can say I believe I receive my healing and he's restoring health to me. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our part is to agree with God, conform to his will, and we'll prosper and we'll succeed. So it's important that we do our part. You can take scriptures like, with his stripes, I was healed. He bore my sickness, he carried my pains. Thank God for the Holy Ghost who dwells in me to quicken my mortal body. He's quickening my mortal body right now. So once again, we have a part to play in it. If that woman didn't go touch his garment, she would have not been healed ever of that condition. But she did her part. It's almost like playing a game of checkers. God moves, you move, God moves again. God moved in sending us Jesus, who bore our sickness and carried our pains. We move by saying, I believe I received my healing. I thank you for my healing. And God moves again to make it a reality within our lives. But we have a part to play in it. Look at the next one. Number four, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, for unto thou called, and profess the good profession before many witnesses. This is 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. What is a fight of faith? A fight of faith is not with grenades bow and arrow. It's not with bombs. 
A fight of faith is a fight with words. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and has professed a good profession. There it is right there. Or confessed a good confession before many witnesses. The fight of faith is a fight with words. The enemy is going to come along and try to make us doubt, like a doubting Thomas. I'm doubting whether or not God heard me. I doubt whether or not he's working in my body. And what we'll believe is physical evidences. For example, I still hurt. We may still hurt, but that doesn't mean God's power is not working in our lives. It's up to us to cast down the thoughts, the imaginations, and all the things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. In other words, God wants us to renew our minds to his word and start thinking the way he wants us to think and not be overwhelmed by what the world's saying, what's coming across the media, what our physical bodies are telling us. Cooperate with God. Hold fast the confession of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Those forces have got to be stood against. We have to stand against all these evil forces that come against us to try to uproot our faith. So that's why the Bible says, take all the armor of God and stand. And having done all to stand, stand. So you're standing, now continue standing in faith. If it was automatic and instant, there'd be no need to stand. There'd be no need for patience. It's faith and patience that inherit the promises of God. But we've got to stand firm in what we believe, acting upon the word of God, declaring it to be true in our lives. And even though we may not feel well, we exalt the report of the Lord above any other report. And that's part of fighting the good fight of faith. Another thing is this, don't blame God. How often we hear at times like this, God is the force behind this. God is the one who is doing this. Well, John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 10, gives us a revelation of what's of God and what's not of God. This we call the dividing line between good and evil. The thief cometh not, but for to steal, kill, and destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. A sickness or a disease is not designed to give life and that more abundantly. It's designed to steal, to kill, and destroy. Just like that woman with the issue of blood spent all her life savings and was nothing better, but rather got worse. So she was sick. She was dying. We call stealing, killing. She lost all her resources, stealing. That's exactly what the enemy does. That's not what God does. This is not a design of God for any reason. It's important that we recognize that and once again stand against it with spiritual truth, not just with natural or medical truths. Now, in the book of Acts chapter 10 verse 38, no other verse in all the Bible can make it more clear as to where sickness and disease comes from, but this right here. How God, that's the Father, anointed Jesus, that's the Son, of Nazareth, that's his location, with the Holy Ghost, that's the third person of deity. So we have all three parts of the deity. All three persons of the deity involved. Anointed him with the Holy Ghost and with power. That's dunamis, miracle working power of God. Who went about doing good. God does what is good. And what's good? Healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. Jesus healed a massive amount of people when he was here upon the earth. We are told in Scripture in John's Gospel that if everything he did was recorded, then guess what? The world or the universe could never contain the books that were to be written about all the things that he did. So if you can only imagine the massive amount of healings and deliverances that took place in the life of Jesus. How did he do it? Why did he do it? Compassion. He was acting in the Father's place. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm doing the will of my Father. 
But God the Father anointed Jesus the Son with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good healing all that were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. This is a good work and it is a good thing. So it makes it very clear. When the woman was bowed over for 18 years with this rheumatoid arthritis and the religious critics criticized him for healing her on the Sabbath day, what did Jesus say to them? You're a bunch of hypocrites. This woman is a daughter of Abraham of the covenant. It's her right to be healed. And shouldn't she be healed? Whom Satan bound low these 18 years from this bond on the Sabbath day. So Jesus made it very clear that God is not the author of sickness and disease. God is not the one who destroys per people's lives through sickness and disease. Now, if a person is walking in disobedience and judgment falls upon them, that can happen. But it's not God. He's not the author of it. As a matter of fact, if they were in obedience, that wouldn't have ever happened to them. So we have to put this in perspective and understand why a lot of people are exposed to certain things. Judgment can fall upon a person, which we're going to see right here. Look at the book of Numbers, chapter 21, verse 9. And this is point six. We need to learn to stay focused when we're believing God for healing. We're going to be distracted as Peter was walking out on the water. And these distractions are designed to get us out of faith, to uproot our faith. Why? Because the enemy knows if we stay in faith, we're going to see a miracle at the end of it all. So, in Numbers 21, verse 9, the Israelites were judged because they spoke against Moses, they spoke against Aaron, they spoke against God in the wilderness. And as a result, they were judged and the hand of God was removed from them. You could say they came out from beneath the grace of God. And all these serpents were out there in the wilderness that they were protected from before they were judged. But now they're not going to be protected from because of their language, because of what they said, because of their sin and disobedience. And they admitted that that's exactly what they did. Notice this. They cried out to God for mercy. They told Moses, cry out to God to change the situation, to stay uh, the situation where these snakes are killing us and our people. And God tells Moses to do this. And Moses made a serpent of brass, God said, and put it on a pole. The medical field uses that even today as a sign. The serpent on the pole. And that if a person had, had bit, if a serpent bitten any man, when he beheld, notice the word beheld. When he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Notice the responsibility, once again, is placed upon the individual. If someone has been bitten by the serpent, the tendency is to look at the bite, to look where you were bitten, to look at the symptom. But here he says, no, you can't occupy yourself with that. Your focus has got to change. You look at the remedy. You look at the solution, not the problem. Look at the serpent on the pole, which was a type of Christ being lifted up and becoming our sin, sickness, mental anguish, and pain upon the pole. And you look and notice the word beheld. The word beheld, it means to look attentively, expectantly, with a steady, absorbing gaze. Every time we proclaim this truth from the Bible, that's exactly what we're doing. We are looking at the remedy. We're looking at the solution. We're looking at Christ on the cross who becomes the curse. On that cross, he becomes the curse for us. And he bears our sin, sickness, mental anguish, and carries our pain. Stay focused on the solution, not on the problem. That's the fight of faith. It's not easy. We understand that. But it's the fight of faith. So we need to look at the work of Christ attentively expectantly with a steady notice this word absorbing gaze we absorb into our lives the life that's flowing from calvary 
we see that's the solution. We thank God that's the tree that was cast into the bitter waters. The waters became sweet. We can see that as a result of the staff, the rod going forth and parting the Red Sea, there the troubled waters of human life were overcome, not through man's effort or means, but by the supernatural hand of God. And remember this, walking across a muddy seabed like that would have been destructive to them all. Imagine that miracle that took place before their eyes. Man could never do something like that. And you know what? When it comes to some of these sicknesses and diseases, man has no solution. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28, we are told there are certain conditions that will never be healed apart from divine intervention. And so to even to try to come up with a solution would be impossible if God says that. So once again, stay focused. See to it that you look at the cross, look at the solution, look at what Jesus has done, embrace it, thank him for it, and then next, stay pure. In the book of Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Now, verses 23 and 24 reveal to us the, prayer, the law of faith and the prayer of faith. But notice verses 25 and 26. When you stand praying, forgive if you have ought against any. That your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, which is, which is your Father which is in heaven will not forgive you your trespasses. What's he saying to us? Keep your heart pure. There are certain things that can short-circuit the power of God. Bitterness, animosity, unforgiveness can short-circuit the power of God. And if we allow it, then we can stop God's healing power from working in our lives. I remember one time dealing with an individual that their heart was just full of bitterness. And as a result, we tried to get a miracle in their life, but we couldn't get the miracle in their life because of the bitterness. But I didn't know about that at the time. And finally, I asked her because the Spirit of God just impressed upon me bitterness, the word bitterness, which is basically a word of knowledge. And I said, does it mean anything to you? And she said, yes, absolutely. I said, well, what does it mean? Now, she said, well, there's someone that I really am bitter toward. And I said to her, well, you, if you don't get rid of the bitterness, you're, you're not going to have a healing in your body, in your life, because you're holding on to that. You're short-circuiting the power of God. And she said, I didn't realize that. You know what? The woman got it right. She came for prayer after she got it right power of God came upon her and she got a creative miracle in her life as a result. Now before she couldn't get anything but the moment she got her heart pure and upright before God and got the bitterness out, the unforgiveness out, it gave way to the power of God. The power of God came in and a creative miracle, a muscle that was deteriorated because of sugar diabetes became whole. Next, eight, refuse condemnation. Why? Once again, just like unforgiveness and bitterness, condemnation will do the same thing, short-circuit the power of God. The book of Romans chapter 8 begins with no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus made us free from law, sin, and death. But also it ends with no separation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. No condemnation, no separation. So think about that. Don't let the enemy condemn you. Don't let people condemn you. Don't allow condemnation. Don't condemn yourself to short-circuit the power of God. If you missed the mark along the way, don't be condemned about it. Get it under the blood of Jesus Christ and thank God for forgiveness and cleansing from all unrighteousness. Number nine, resist fear. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. Resist fear. For God has not given us the spirit of fear. And once again... I know it's media-driven. I understand that. We've got to focus on the facts to so understand that as well. But if all we're hearing is what's producing fear in our lives, then fear can dominate us and again, short-circuit the power of God. Job said, the fear I greatly feared has come upon me. So fear, if it's in the heart, faith is out the door. 
But if faith comes in the heart, then fear has got to flee. But notice these three powerful forces he gives us to combat fear. Power, love, and a sound mind. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the Word of God. There's power in the Holy Spirit manifesting Himself in our lives. Love, perfect love, casts out all fear. Realize how much God loves us. Bask in that for a while. Let that be something that saturates the heart, the mind, and the life. And a sound mind means a well-disciplined mind that's trained in the Word of God. Not just all this emotional stuff that happens a lot of times. In the, even a lot of people's lives, Christians' lives as well, and Christian churches as well. You know what? There can be a lot of emotion, but there's nothing more important than a solid foundation beneath the feet of that individual who knows God, who knows His covenant, who knows His Word, and will stand in faith and believe God to do what He said He would do. It's not emotionalism. It's walking in the reality of our redemption. And finally... Constantly, number 10, praise God for our healing. Look at the book of Psalms 118, verse 21. I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and be art become my salvation. I'm praising you, because I know you heard me when I asked you to heal me, and you've become my saving strength. Another verse, Psalm 22, verse 3, powerful verse. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. God inhabits the praises of his people. So when we praise him, even though we don't see it done, but we praise him in advance for what he has done, praise God, it keeps his divine presence in operation and manifestation. So because he's inhabiting our praises, his hand that's at work continues to manifest. So that's how God wants us to view it. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and wonderful works to the children of men. He sent forth his word to heal them and deliver them from their destructions. And so even though we haven't seen it yet, we could stand there and say, I praise you. You have heard me and you've become my salvation or saving strength. I call myself redeemed. I call myself delivered. I call myself set free and made whole. Coronavirus has no power over me or my life or my loved ones. Thank you for making hard the bars of my gates, Father, surrounding us all and keeping us within from all the powers of any virus or any disease that could come our way. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you're doing and will continue to do for us as we honor you with our lives. Praise God.